Well, <clears throat> before we get into the message this morning, I want to draw your attention to a yellow flower to my left and your right. It's an indication that um, somebody in our church family uh, has died and gone to be with Jesus. Uh, Daniel England uh, died this past week, and I know that many of you have been praying for Daniel as he's been battling cancer for many years now. Uh, Bert and Sherilyn England are part of our church family as parents. Daniel actually lives in Australia uh, with his wife and children. And also Dave England, who is our facilities uh, specialist, is his twin brother. So just want you to be aware of the loss in the family, not only to their family, but to us as a church family. And we just ask and covet your prayers as they take time to grieve and, and say goodbye, and especially from the distance and space between. All right, <clears throat> as we uh, take a moment to kind of redirect our attention now to the Word of God, um, we are going to pick back up in our series on Acts. Uh, we've been away from that for a couple weeks, and uh, we are back into chapter 4 in Acts, and I will spend most of our time in Acts 4, 32 through 35. I'd like to read that uh, to you this morning. Uh, before we get into the text and pray. So here we go, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. Uh, Luke, Dr. Luke, who is writing Acts, is actually giving us kind of a summary or a snapshot of what the church was like at this time uh, in its life. Now, keep in mind, the church is only a few months old. If that, it's very new, and at this time, Luke describes the church in this way. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you this morning that as we take a moment to look at Luke's description of the early church, Help us, God, to identify the qualities within the church that we are to live out today so that we can become a great church, a greater church, a church that has influence and impact in the world as we advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Essentially, as we look at the early church today, I want to draw your attention to the fact that what we have here is really a description of the early church. You may recall weeks ago, I talked about how so much of the book of Acts has what we would say descriptions of the church and events throughout church history, but also within some of these descriptions, we can find prescriptions that are good for us as Christians to put into practice. And that's what we're going to do today. I think that this passage really does give us what we would call 
an ideal of what a healthy and great church looks like. But we know that every local church, Christian church, is made up of different people with different gifts, and therefore we might look a little bit different than other local churches. So there's a uniqueness to our local church in our community and the ministry that we have to offer around the world. So I don't think this is a prescription for how exactly every church is to look, but I think it's a description of what a great church looks like, an ideal. And from this, we're going to extract some application for how we as a church family can live in a way that we become a great church. So let me set the scene. Last time we met, we looked at the early part of chapter 4. Peter and John were in the temple proclaiming the good news about Jesus. The crowds had gathered. Some 5,000 people came to faith in Christ. The ruling authorities stepped in and they arrested Peter and John for preaching and teaching about the name of Jesus. It was late in the day, so they put him in jail. The next day, they stood before the Sanhedrin, the ruling authorities, and they couldn't do anything about him because they really didn't do anything wrong. So what they told them was that, you know what? We're going to send you away with this command. Do not teach or preach or talk about the name of Jesus anymore. Remember what they said? <laughs> Are we going to listen to you or should we listen to God? Of course we're going to listen to God. And as they listened to God, one of the things that the leaders recognized about them, they were common people who did what? Who spent time with Jesus. And they were bold in their proclaiming of Jesus to the world. Now we're going to fast forward a little bit. Peter and John, they end up going back to where the believers were. Now the believers are gathered together. We're still in Jerusalem. The church is still very new in its infancy. It has not expanded outside of Jerusalem. And here we are. Peter and John giving testimony to their suffering and their persecution and their jail time and, and the request to be silent about Jesus. And it's here and now that the church responds together. And how did they respond? To the persecution, the very first persecution, by the way. Did they look inward? Did they have a pity party? Did they say, what was me, and I can't believe this is happening to us? Where are you, God? Absolutely not. They looked outward, and they looked upward, and they drew their attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they said, in light of our suffering and our persecution and our circumstances, God, use us to advance your gospel and to grow your kingdom. So this morning, I want you to consider when life gets hard, what's your response? Do you look inward and do you have self-pity parties first? Or do you look outward and upward and look to have God align you to his will so that you can be all that God wants you to be? Well, as the Christian church came together, they drew their attention to God. They prayed. The result is that the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they boldly proclaimed the word of God. 
the persecution of the early church actually helped to advance and spread the gospel outside of Jerusalem. See, the church was kind of in Jerusalem. I won't say stuck there, but everyone was gathering in Jerusalem, and that was the, the, the place that actually God determined it would begin, and from there would go out. And one of the ways that God in His sovereignty began to distribute the good news of Jesus was through the persecution of the church as they turned their attention upward, and then they went outward as they brought the good news of Jesus to the world. See, this wasn't the first, this might have been the first persecution and one of the first challenges of the local church, but it wouldn't be the last. And in fact, all throughout the last 2,000 years, the church has had to endure countless challenges. And the church today, we are not exempt from challenges, nor are we exempt from persecution. If we consider just the past two years, as we dealt with COVID in our community and throughout our nation and actually throughout the world, it has certainly brought many challenges to the Christian church, locally, nationally, and also globally. But with these challenges, it brought something else. It brought many new opportunities for us as a church to take advantage of. And that we did. You know, one of the most exciting opportunities that I can share with you that resulted in the COVID challenge of the Christian church is that churches all over our community, all over our nation, and literally all over the world went online. And like no other time in church history, have more churches had the ability to reach more people with the message of the gospel than right now today. We took advantage of a challenge that provided an opportunity to turn us outward into the world so that the message of the gospel could go beyond the four walls of the local church and reach people all across the globe. Now, during this time, you may have found your own personal challenges that turned into opportunities. I know I certainly did. Now, I want to share with you uh, one of the things that I learned as a Christian and as a pastor that has helped me to weather the storm of the last two years. It's this. As a Christian, and maybe I could say especially as a pastor, I learned the need to have thick skin and a soft heart. Anybody feel beat up the last couple years? Anybody feel like your response doesn't want to be godliness, but wants to be out of my tough guy, selfish ambition? Of course. But God has shown me the value of thick skin and a soft heart. Probably one of the biggest growth times in my life over the last two years is coming to this realization that I could not pastor this church well if I didn't have those two things straight, thick skin and a soft heart. And I believe that this posture or this way of doing life was exactly how the early church responded 
to the persecution and the suffering and the challenges that they faced. I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 4 and verses 23, uh, beginning in verse 23. I just want to read a few of them to kind of orient ourselves here. As soon as they were freed, that's Peter and John, and they returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders said. Verse 24, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Notice what they did. They didn't say, we're so sorry. You poor thing. What was you? What was us? They turned to God in prayer. Luke actually gives us a description of the prayer, and then in verse 29, he goes on to say, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did you hear that? Did you hear their prayer? The heart of their prayer was, in light of what's happening to us now, Jesus, use us. May we be bold and confident. May we proclaim the name of Jesus. May you give us opportunity. May the name of Jesus bring about miraculous signs and wonders so that the world may know that, Jesus, you are legit. You are real. They didn't cower. They didn't step back. They leaned in. Makes me wonder if I ask a very personal question, how have you weathered the storm over the past couple of years? Have people seen in you a witness that glorifies and points people to Jesus? Or have people seen in you the worst of you? Has your witness been damaged because of your actions and your attitude over the past couple years? I can promise you it was a daily dying to myself, and it still is, so that the actions and the attitude of my heart wouldn't reflect what I think, but would reflect God's character that is to be revealed through me. If you found it to be challenging, you're not alone. Notice the results of their prayer. Verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Did you hear that? After their prayer, God shows up and he shakes the place. I'm here, I'm with you, and I'm gonna fill you so you can go and be bold for me. This wasn't a second Pentecost. You can't repeat Pentecost. It happened once. But this was a filling of the believers that gave them a boldness and a courageousness to step into the elements of life that were challenging and difficult, that brought about all kinds of hardship. Yet they kept their eyes on Jesus. They stayed on mission, and they proclaimed with boldness the good news about Jesus. As I mentioned, 
The book of Acts gives us descriptions and it also gives us prescriptions. And here we find the description of the church. I want to read it to you again so you can hear how Luke summarizes the church. Verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessings was upon them all. There was no needy people among them, because those who owned the land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This was how Luke describes the early church. Well, I want to give you three examples that are descriptions of the early church that become ideals for us to live into. Then I'm going to give you three prescriptions that become the point of application for this text today. The first description is that Luke tells us there was a boldness in the early church as a result of their prayer and the filling of the Holy Spirit. This boldness gave them the courage to testify about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this boldness gave them the ability to be laser-focused on the mission of God. Here at Alexandria Covenant Church, the way we articulate our mission or the way we say it is that we are a church that is committed to loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, so that we can share Jesus with those around us and with the entire world. The second way that Luke describes this early church is that there was a generous people among them. See, individuals became increasingly selfless and they gave everything they had to make sure that nobody in their community went without their needs being met. And although everybody owned what they sold, the selling of their possessions was completely voluntary and it was actually done not because they were told to. It was done because they had compassion for those in needs. See, all the believers understood that what they had actually wasn't theirs to begin with. It belonged to God, and they were simply stewards now of God's grace in His fullness. The third description that Luke tells us is that the church was unified. The early church was united at the core of who they were and what they believed. The text tells us that there was actually no division among them. Now, does this mean that everybody got along? (laughs) No. Does this mean that they all shared their same opinions about things? No. So what does it mean? Well, it certainly doesn't mean that the believers saw eye to eye on everything. The early Christians, actually, if you remember, came from all parts of the known world and descended upon Jerusalem. 
So what you have, you have different cultures and languages and foods and, and, and opinions about all kinds of things and how we are to live our lives as Christians. And that were the, those were the things that they didn't always agree on. Food and clothing, language and customs. But they were united. They were united as to who Christ was. That he was the savior of their life and that they would allow him to be the Lord of their life. And not only that he was the Lord of their lives, but that he was the Lord of all. And all of them recognized the necessity of living for Jesus, not for themselves. So at the core of who they were, they stood united. Giving freedom to allow room for differing opinions on the non-essentials of the Christian faith. But on the essentials, the things that truly matter, they stood together. With this description of the early church, I think we can discover some key qualities. This is where the prescription comes in of how we can become a greater church. These qualities will help us essentially to live the gospel out loud and to live the gospel in all areas of our life. And the first one I want to point out is the quality of compassion for others. Compassion for others. The way I want you to think about compassion for others is how do I see you? Direct your thoughts outward from yourself to your neighbor, to your brother or sister in Christ, to the other in your life. Compassion for others is all about how I see you. Compassion is maybe hard to define because we want to use words like sympathy sometimes to explain what compassion is. But compassion and sympathy, let me remind you, are very different. The Bible defines them very differently. In fact, sympathy is feeling sorry for someone's misfortune. And given enough time and distance between, sympathy can fade in our lives and give us the opportunity to not step into and actually do anything about meeting the needs around us. And if you give enough time and distance between you and the misfortune of other without doing anything, I can assure you your sympathy will go down and at some point you won't even remember anymore. Compassion is different. Compassion leaves us discontent until we do something to help the person in need. That's the difference between compassion and sympathy. Sympathy allows us to get out of the situation without doing anything about it. But compassion does not. We all know the story of the Good Samaritan, don't we? You know, Jesus told that story because he was asked this question, who is my neighbor? In defining who our neighbor is, Jesus answered that question in this way. 
Your neighbor is anyone who has a need, whose need you can meet. That's why the good Samaritan was identified as being good in the story. He had compassion on the person in need, and out of his mercy for that person, he met the need by taking care of him. Compassion is really love in action. And love in action is doing for others what they cannot do for themselves. And there's no greater example of that than the Lord Jesus Christ, who did for you and did for me what we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived and died and rose again so that we could have life, a life we could never attain on our own, but a life that we can only gain through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what makes the Mickey Roberts of this world so special. She went to Haiti on a mission trip from Alexandria. Out of compassion, she was compelled to do something. Sold it all and started a ministry. She is an example of somebody who, out of compassion, did something about the need around her. Does that mean that's exactly what God has in store for you? No. Don't go there unless God is sending you there. Then you should go there. But that's not something he's going to do for all of us. Compassion he's going to give us. An expectation we respond to that, yes. But you might not be asked to sell everything and move to the other side of the world. You might simply be asked to do something about it right where you are. The second quality is generosity towards others. Generosity towards others. They didn't see the property they owned as their own anymore. And they sold everything they had so that the people around them would not be in need. One commentator said, if we focus on what seems to be the impracticality of this or upon the seeming communism, we miss the point. And I totally agree. The way that we should think about generosity towards others is now how I see me. Compassion is how I see you. Generosity towards others is how I see me. This is not communism in action. Communism says practically what is yours is everyone's. But Christianity says what is mine is yours. A generous and giving spirit permeated through this early church which is what made them a great church. See, nobody was forced to sell their possessions and give the money to others. It was completely voluntary. This isn't a redistribution of wealth as some people want to make it. It's a time when those with much were able to help those with little. That's all it is. I don't believe that this text tells us that if you want to be a good Christian, you have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. It doesn't say that. What it does tell us is that as a Christian, 
You should live your life with generosity towards others. Now, the key to generosity is in how we view what we have and how we use what we have. Is it mine or is it God's? Am I using what I have for me or am I using what I have to meet your need to the glory of God? In light of the storm that passed through Alexandria and the surrounding communities this past week, there's no better application of the need for us as individuals, Christians, and collectively the church to have compassion for our neighbors and to be generous towards those in need. I guess if I could encourage you to do anything, it would be this. Don't look away, look in to the needs of those around you. And when you have an opportunity to meet a need that that cannot be met on its own, that you be willing to have compassion and be generous to step in and meet the needs of those around you. The third quality is vulnerability with others. Compassion, how I see you. Generosity, how I see me. Vulnerability, how I see us. How I see us. Being vulnerable with others is how we best understand how we can love and serve one another. To be vulnerable is to make your need known and then to allow others into your life so that they can meet your need. We live in a very prideful society, don't we? I can do it on my own and I don't need you. But the Christian community is a place of need. We need one another. This happens to be one of the great characteristics of the Christian community. We are a family where people can make their needs known and then expect to be used to meet the needs of others. When we all allow ourselves to be helpful, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, when we allow ourselves to share our need with somebody else, what we're actually doing is giving another an opportunity to be a blessing. So rather than allowing your pride to get in the way of asking for help, think of it differently. Allow your need to be an opportunity for somebody else to be a blessing to you. See, if you find yourself in need and you're afraid to ask for help, let me encourage you. Choose courage over fear. Make your need known. That's only half of it. And then allow those who you've made your need known to, to step into your life and love and serve you. As a faith family, we would greatly benefit from being vulnerable with one another. 
See, when we put these three qualities into practice, regardless of the situation or circumstance, no matter how hard life gets, we can expect that the people around us will be loved with a Christ-like love. And those who are outside the church will be drawn to Jesus, the one whom we love and the one who we serve. And this is what a great church does. You see, the church is most effective in reaching people for Jesus when people witness and experience the church serving one another and loving one another from a place of unity, from a place of compassion, from a place of generosity, and from a place of vulnerability. This is an attractive community. This is a way upon which we can achieve the ideal of the faith family so that we can function and live as God intended us to live. How are you practicing compassion, generosity, and vulnerability today? If you're willing, give yourself to the church and to those around you, so that through you, Christ can be made known to the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, which gives us life. Thank you for the encouragement that as a church family, the witness of the church will be far more effective when we live in unity, when we live with compassion towards others, generosity, and vulnerability. Help us, God, to be a light in our world that shines ever so bright, that when people see our good deeds, they will be drawn to you and glorify you in heaven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, we are not actually going to close with a song, but we're going to close with an invitation. Um, I'm going to invite the prayer team to please join me up front, and we've made this announcement the past couple weeks, and I, I just want you to know, as a church family, we have people in our family who are committed to pray and to stand in the gap with one another, and this might be a great way for you to get involved in the prayer ministry of the church, and I'm actually going to have you guys please come spread out across the front, and don't be afraid to stand in front of me, it's all good. The bottom line is these prayer people are here to stand with you and to meet with you. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus and how that can happen, they will share that with you. If you want to know what it means to be a part of the faith family, they can pray with you about that. If you just need prayer to be encouraged because you're discouraged today or you need somebody to stand in the gap so that you can have the fight to endure. They're here for you today. So please stand. I'm going to give you a blessing. I'm going to send you out. But for those of you who want prayer, I'm going to invite you up. So please stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you and be gracious to you. May through the Spirit alive in you, you find yourself to be compassionate, generous, and vulnerable with one another. And may you go into this world 
shining your light for Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed. Unless you want prayer, you're invited.